You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 365, are buskers the worst people in the world? We ask, what's the point of Piers Morgan? And we examine the highs and lows, mostly lows, of sharing office space. It's all coming up after the Lemonheads and different drums. had a topsy-turvy career, a, a topsy-turvy life really, uh, with oh, a yeah. song written by Mike Nesmith of The Monkeys and covered by many. This though is the best version by a mile. Uh, a single from 1990, Evan Dando, The Lemonheads and Different Drum. Yes, I've always been fond of The Lemonheads and, and mm-hmm. I always hope fundamentally that Evan Dando is okay, if you see what I mean. He's one of those people who you just yeah. think, I hope everything's alright at the yes. moment. Yes, there's a sort of yes, Nirvana, uh, Amy Winehouse kind of uh, feel about his mm, but, life. But he, he is at the time of recording very much to Witherstone, so I'm, I'm pleased about that. I mean, he, did, he went through a bit of a rough time, I think, after The Lemonheads really broke through in the early 90s. I remember there being a story of how he was thrown off Oasis's tour bus at Glastonbury, I think, for being a pest, and it was very much the oh god you know mm. it should be the other way around really it's a shame <laughs> that Lem, 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 L
fallen so 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 quickly. But he's had a few comeback records over the years, isn't he? Mm. Uh, hopefully, he's doing all right. It's a shame about Evan. We could say. Mm. Oh, ah, yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Um, welcome to the podcast from the Parish Council. It's episode three hundred and sixty-five. So just think, if you wanted to, you could start with episode one today, and you could <laughs> listen to a new episode every day for a whole year. It's such a treat. It is. You could. You and also. For the first 220, whatever it was, day of the years, you don't have to encounter me either, or at least in very much reduced doses, which can only be a plus. I think. Oh, no, 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 that would be a negative. People would just skim through those to get to, to your debut. <laughs> too kind, too kind. I'm Terence Stackham, and here, after DJing in every single venue <laughs> on the south coast of England over the weekend, it's Juliet Harris. Thank you. Hello. Yeah, it does feel like that. I've got two more gigs today. So um, so okay. what can I say? Have, have records will travel. My friend said to me the other day, how many places do you DJing? And I said, well, at this rate, I'm thinking about setting up in a bus shelter to kind of get the whole set, really. <laughs> when we're considering candidates for the worst people in the world, the, the list of contenders it could be a long one. Maybe Kim... It seems to, to get longer by the second. It, it really, exactly so. As each day passes, mm. there's new people to add to the list. We've already got Kim Jong-un. Uh, Kim Jong- Un, Putin, Trump, um, they would feature on many people's lists. Some people would choose a Kardashian or two, perhaps Neymar. Boris Johnson, I would, I would hazard Abs- in some cases absolutely. at the moment. Absolutely. Perhaps Neymar, the Brazilian footballer. Oh, yeah. Well, well, yes, he, he is tedious, I must hmm. admit. Anyone picking these people, you're all wrong. The worst people in the entire world are buskers. <laughs> Thanks for clearing that up, Terence. You know, I, I come straight to the point here, because with our town centres now largely consisting of empty shops, mm. they've become concrete echo chambers where anyone, and th- this is the thing, anyone, regardless of musical talent, can set up with their out-of-tune £25 guitar from Argos and starts <laughs> wailing. You're such a snob. It's amazing. <laughs> Just when I think you've reached the height of snobbery, you find new planes from which to look down on other people from. Well, they're screeching their abominable versions of Amy Winehouse and Ed Sheeran songs. And these days, amplifiers are not only cheap, oh. but very portable and extremely loud. Everyone's got their own PA, haven't they? It's exactly. crazy. And no sooner have you turned a corner into the main street of any British town and your ears are bent out of shape by some caterwauling 18-year-old who's been learning the guitar for a week, <laughs> screeching out back to black, you know, while you're at the bank ATM getting some money. <laughs> These are evil people bringing torture by blasting noise pollution into town centres. Jules, buskers are the worst people in the world. Well, I mean, as ever, I'm not <laughs> sure I can quite go with you oh, in, this, uh, no. in this amazing world oh. of hy- hyperbole or hyperbole, as my friend insists on calling it. But um, um, so oh. I, I, like you, am occasionally irritated by buskers. Mm. Um, this lovely link. So Kensington and Chelsea, you sent yes. me the link to this story, um, are consulting whether or not to ban buskers from the Portobello Road. Yes, which is your view, I think. <laughs> um, it's 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 very. It's, I, I, this is my favourite quote. In this um, in this article, um, it says that they previously looked at introducing a licensing scheme in the for buskers in the borough since 2013, but plans have been since written off as complex and potentially costly. They managed to sell pitches on the tube without much difficulty, I think. Mm. And buskers on the tube are possibly even more intense because you've got those long, echoey oh, corridors, yes. haven't you? I I still remember 
something like 13 years on the day that I was walking through an underpass to Waterloo Station and I felt like I was walking into war and I, 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 <laughs> I was on some kind of dr- drug trip or something. Noise just seemed to be bouncing off every possible wall and it turned out to be a bagpiper who was busting. Oh, I, no. I felt like I'd had some kind of out-of-body experience. I think I did give oh. him money simply for the experience. But um, oh. this Chris Summers, who's manager of um, KC, um, manager of the KNC, as it's described here, record store Rough Trade. Some of us might be familiar. Hmm. near the Talbot Road pitch so they have a pitching system hmm. it says I've got no problems with buskers at all you get you just get used to it I do blame Ed Sheeran for the amount of acoustic songs that get played hmm. <laughs> I love the fact things that are Ed Sheeran's Ed Sheeran's fault um it's it's I mean it's tricky isn't it because mm-hmm. sometimes buskers have incredibly cheered me up I remember being on holiday with my parents somewhere once it might have been Norwich and we saw a a sort of trio of people who was sort of a, a, a skiffle trio and mm. one of them literally had a stand up that sort of a soapbox type bass you know the T-chest based oh, and, yeah. uh, and they were doing Surfing USA by the Beach Boys <laughs> which really lent itself to mm. T-chest based it's tender and sometimes when we used to have the festival in Norwich um, they'd have street performers and busking and that sort of thing and it was really fun and it was a really sort of festival atmosphere maybe there should be some sort of um maybe it should be a seasonal thing rather than necessarily a, a, an all-year-round thing mm. i don't know street performers can be quite fun but maybe there's a difference between street performers and you know having to hear the class a team by ed sheeran for the eighth time mm. that week when you're trying to go to Woolworths. Woolworths don't exist anymore do they what was Woolworths in hastings but um there are some designated areas there's an underpass next to Woolworths, and that and has people in it and the melancholy truth at the moment is that it's rather less dispiriting to have someone playing the guitar on it is than it is to have people just sleeping in it who don't have a home which is you know reaching fever pitch again and um, so which is terrible for everyone frankly for them and for, for everyone else so i uh, yeah like you it is it i think it, it actually it makes a point about not not so much the tedium of buskers but the things about ed sheeran and also x factor songs as well no, Lord, and yes. and drippy drippy acoustic covers of upbeat songs which i think we've complained mm. about in the context of john lewis adverts yeah. on this on this podcast before now you know x factor have caught it the voices caught it you know it's that sort of disease that's sweeping everywhere and i think that stuff like that just goes to show the lack of diversity and the lack of opportunity in pop, modern pop music and i don't mean necessarily in a race way although mm. you know ed sheeran being very much a ginger man from suffolk but um <laughs> i i you know there's something very sad about the fact that in the past when i've thought about those busking memories i've thought of people from bagpipes there's a set of pan pipers that used to haunt hastings town center that did sort of appellation pan pipe into a backing tape and when i think of those kind of things i laugh because they're so unusual but the fact that nine out of ten buskers are 20 and, and you say they're sort of learning guitar for a week actually most mm. of the buskers we have locally are kids that could feasibly be in the in the in the earlier rounds of x factor who have good voices i mean very x factory type voices and again that goes back to my point about how the lack of diversity of modern what i call pure pop music um but they're all about 22 and they've all got like you said these semi-pro amp systems Mm. and they play the guitar and they do have really good voices mostly but if if a bit overwrought in the x factor (laughs) style was my dad would put it singing 11 notes when they should be singing one Mm. and also none of those notes that all of those notes are a fact-finding mission towards the note that they're actually looking for so so you know they've got that singing style that i'm not particularly keen on but they're, they're all the same you know they're mm. all they're all perfectly fine but they're all they're all sort of um 
they're all the same. So so I don't have a problem with with the concept of busking per se. Um, I think I lo- I agree with the idea of there being licensing schemes. So there literally isn't one every thirty seconds. Mm. But it does make me sad that it that it highlights a, a problem in pop music. I think that you know it is just a Ed Sheeran and maybe Amy Winehouse. Who, by the way, R.I.P. on the day of recording on twenty third of July is the anniversary of Amy Winehouse's death. So uh, mm. so I would like to remember her and apologise for not having well the twenty third is tomorrow, but it's mm. the anniversary weekend. So we're recording on the twenty second. So mm. I. So yeah, I would like to uh, to remember her mm. and apologise for not having picked an Amy Winehouse track this, track this mm. week because I really should have done. But but yeah, I agree with you. It's um, it's it, it, it is tedious because it is all so samey. I think I wouldn't mind so much if there was if there was more diversity to it. Mentioning the uh, the old pan pipers there, I've noticed mm-hmm. I've noticed austerity and recession has hit the the busking business because about five years ago, if you visited Guildford, for example, as you emerged into the high street, you were assaulted by the sound of pan pipes tooting at a very high volume, terrible noise. There was about five of them puffing away, um, it, and I've noticed that the numbers in the pan pipe band have dwindled almost mm. year by year. So now in Guildford, there's just the one bloke in oh, his. No. Yeah, yeah, he's in his pan-pipey traditional clothing, like panting and gasping his way through those hideous pan-pipes. But, you see, the worst of it is that he too has discovered the the world of cheap amplifiers. So where his dreadful colleagues from a few years ago were acoustic, he's now hammering it out up and down Guildford High Street all on his own. So it's like being ambushed, frankly, as you come out of the Friary Centre and you walk into the High Street and, oh man, it's 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 an assault both uh, on your hearing <laughs> and on, on good manners and taste. And, you know, busking. Busking is begging with an additional soundtrack of hapless musicianship. <laughs> you know. I, think they should, no, I think they should be banned. All busking should be banned, possibly imprisoned. Um, just say no, say no to busking is well, my I, final I, I, message. I'm on really this. glad that you clearly listened to and took on board my considered contribution and that I have gone some way <laughs> to changing your mind, lol. <laughs> Coming up, who the hell keeps offering work to Piers Morgan? <laughs> now there's something we can both be reunited over. That's next, after this splendid new single chosen by Juliet from Lizzo. Hey boy, what you say boy? You trying to play coy like a game boy? Hit my phone boy, is your homeboy? Are you a lone boy? Come give me dome boy. Got a boy with degrees, a boy in the streets. A boy on his knees, he a man in the sheets. Sheesh, it's all Greek to me. Got this boy speaking Spanish. I hit my beer. Baby, I don't need you. I just wanna freak you. I heard you a freak too. What's two plus two? Crazy! 
So I heard that on on BBC Six Music. I think it was on uh, Sean Cleveland's breakfast show. Uh, I think it was last Wednesday. And within a minute and a half of it stopping, I had literally gone on to iTunes. Other music uh, purchasing services are available, and uh, and and bought it, which I sold it because I subscribe to Apple Music. It means I could download it for free, but I wanted to buy it because I just thought it was it was super. And it hits that sweet spot for me of slightly sort of bubbly kind of pop occasionally with a rap in the middle i would put this down i would i would put this in the same sort of uh, pot as 212 by azalea banks which i've never picked for this podcast because it is very very sweary oh. um also, and the swearing is is central to the record as well mm. but particularly for the a phenomenal hand clap band um 10 20 30 40 which i think i've picked before yes, yes. um where's the bass amp by um by superfood um and that um on the regular thing by shamir that that i picked previously as well it's it's that kind of it could easily do with being longer because it is so it is so fun and i i love her i just think there's such a there's such a kind of a, a fun bounce to it i was quite a lot to uh, sexy back by justin timberlake that kind of the mm. way it sort of shuffles along but um no i i, I think that's that's just the fun bubblegum hop that i will happily rot my teeth on until i die so that's that's a uh, boys by lizzo a terrifically punchy single, really. It is, isn't it? it? Yeah. It's got a real, and it doesn't stay. The the, the bad side is it's too long, it's too short. Mm. But the good side is it doesn't outstay its welcome particularly. So it's, <laughs> it gets it, it gets its impact from being a quick, literally a sort of a sugar hit. Yes, yes. I, I hope it's a you know real success for in the, in I the do, mainstream. I do, I do. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Mm. There are, there are some well-known people in the world whose careers seem to defy all sense over here in the UK. <laughs> Jermaine Greer, you mentioned him earlier. Boris Johnson, Kate Hoey. Uh, they they seem to. But take... many of them, many of them politicians at the moment. It has to be said. <laughs> Absolutely, they seem to take a perverse joy in saying or doing things that would get most of us classed as unemployable if we said or did them. Mm. And perhaps the... I mean, I'm, I'm verging on that anyway. To be honest, <laughs> never mind saying things. Perhaps the master of this bizarre sort of invulnerability is the sort of journalist Piers Morgan um, he's the original King Midas in reverse, everything he touches turns to dust <laughs> yet each disaster is followed by a new offer of a highly paid column in a newspaper or an invitation to appear on BBC Question Time or take up a role on um, breakfast TV or whatever Morgan seems to deliberately set out to take a contrary position um, on almost any topic when defending the indefensible. Um, with a big hullabaloo this week, Morgan interviewed Donald Trump for ITV and mm. achieved, he achieved absolutely dismal ratings. Yet he scoffs at anyone mentioning this on Twitter and falls back. His usual combination of lads banter, lads with a Z, a Z, a lads banter, and, and just outright rudeness. What what are his plus points, Jules? What is it about Piers Morgan that, despite appearing to have no talent whatsoever, has serious broadcasting organisations and national newspapers queuing up to offer him huge sums to work for them? Well, as, as is sometimes the case on this podcast, I can condense my reply into a single sentence, oh. which is, beggared if I know, Terence. <laughs> I mean, I... I mean... So I was trying to think about this the other day because someone put on Twitter, I can't remember who it was now, so apologies for not crediting this, but they put something on the lines of, what has happened to Piers Morgan? He used to be a sort of liberal campaigning journalist when he was at the Mirror. And don't forget, of course, that he was, a, he, you know, he was the editor of the Mirror, yeah. that he was... 
So what he was sacked for from the Mirror, which I think was the start of it all going terribly wrong, was this that curious episode where they published photographs mm. of what appeared to be people being tortured, um, and and they turned out to be completely faked. It was it was very strange. Um, it and it was and he was and it was fake pictures of British troops torturing Iraqi prisoners. Now, if you think about the complete hysteria that has taken over much of the right wing press about you know all human rights, it's appalling, you know, and uh, you know this sort of anti-Muslim feeling that kind of is gradually starting to rear its head. That's this is completely the, the other way around. This is you know an editor making a story about the fact that Brit, the British army is be, it was allegedly behaving unacceptably, and that was a hugely sort of liberal thing, which is why it was so disappointing that they turned out to be fake. Me and my dad did my own our own fake picture, by the way. He um, he put on a floral pillowcase on his head when he was mucking about at home once, and I took a picture of him next to their check curtains. We were going to send it in to the Daily Mirror and said, "Here you go, Piers. We found another picture mm. for you to publish." Uh, we didn't sadly but um but so so once upon a time it's hard to believe this but Piers Morgan was albeit misguidedly on the side of good rather than evil but I think that what happened to Piers Morgan my view is greed it's it's you know he hasn't got a good record like you say maybe and I think we're living in a, in a world at the moment particularly in Britain where there are quite a lot of people who in the media, I think, particularly, or in public life, who perhaps are a bit liberal in their 40s and 50s, maybe, meaning that they were sort of their heyday, as it were, not that I'm being ageist, or the time when things were happening for them in their 20s or 30s was in the 90s when, you know, we had a, a Labour government win by landslide and it was seen as very much a kind of a better time, if you see what I mean. Maybe Piers Morgan is seen as a sort of throwback to that time, misguidedly by these people who learn that keep offering him work because people are living in the past rather than necessarily necessarily what is happening in the future now and of course now Piers Morgan is a, a craven mess isn't he really mm. it's interesting he hosts Good Morning Britain which is a, a breakfast television program over here in the UK on ITV I mean put it this way me and my friend who have a you know we're insistent on calling things by their obsolete name um my <laughs> friend texted me and went oh did you see Piers Morgan on TVAM the other day <laughs> <laughs> so I mean we still call Snickers Marathon we still say oh I've, I've got to go out but I'll tape it you know we're, we're very insistent <laughs> on, on on not updating our, our terminology but um his co-host is a woman called Susanna Reid who mm. used to be on BBC Breakfast and then was taken over to, to Good Morning Britain she had a success on a successful time on Strictly Come Dancing in BBC on the BBC and the funny thing is, is that the success on Strictly Come Dancing on the BBC often seems to be a, a springboard to a successful career on another channel so I have some sympathy for the BBC here but she was a guest on the Fortunately podcast which I've mentioned before on this mm. podcast Fee, uh, Fee Glover and Jane Garvey and they she was very good fun actually and they they interviewed her but she said at the beginning that she did not want the program to be centered around the other person that she presented it with and i haven't quite finished it yet but although it takes some sort of gymnastics at some point mm. she doesn't mention his name at any point mm. during the discussion she will refer to him indirectly but she doesn't mention his name and i think that is extremely powerful mm. and she's and 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 so often she becomes sort of a viral sensation by her eye-rolling reactions to pierce morgan's <laughs> kind of tirades on this and she said she never used to do that at first and now she can be more of herself and because you have to be very neutral at the bbc so this is why all this stuff tends to take place on other channels rather sadly moment but um yeah 
I mean, Piers Morgan is, I mean, the, another more cynical reason why he is given time in the media, airtime, is that you know you're going to get a story out of him, mm. you know, and you know, you know that he's going to he's gonna do something outrageous, and he's always, he's what they say, it's good copy, but having said that, he is much like Boris Johnson, I think, there's a good comparison to make, in that they do roles, and particularly as, as Johnson came from a, a journalist background, where you should be reporting on the story, but they seem to become the story all the time. Piers Morgan, you know, he made this big thing about, oh, I got an interview with Trump. But for him, the story was the fact that he got an interview mm. with Trump, not anything that Trump had to say, really. So so I can see why in the media, you know, Piers Morgan is a publicity machine. He generates publicity, and he really does live by that old Max Clifford adage, there is no such thing as bad publicity. But actually, in today's modern world, it would seem that there is. Unfortunately, the cynicism of media means that I can see why he still gets given work, because people like you and me then have to talk about it on our podcast. It's the Oscar Wilde thing. The only worst, mm. the only thing worse than being talked about is not being talked about, and that is someone that very much lives on those principles. One other thing cropped up, it's sort of not um, defending Piers Morgan at all, it's more about the way people react to him. One thing that cropped up uh, this week about him is that um, on the one hand, we're, we're all, and you and I in particular, very critical mm. of uh, very right-wing people who use really bad tactics to... Uh, yeah, you know, dodgy tactics, exactly. yeah. But I think part of the problem is that by going low in response, the people with whom... Piers Morgan argues enable him mm. to take the high ground, and this yes, true. A, a woman who calls herself oh, I know. You, you know what I'm going to tell. Yeah. A woman who calls herself a feminist witch on Twitter. Way, <laughs> <she laughs> my <might> people <laughs> outlined. She was on social media, and then later in the New Statesman this week, and mm. she wrote about how she confronted Piers Morgan um, last weekend when she came across him in a cafe in Kensington. And she's written this week uh, as a Kensington spoke- featuring prominently in our uh, in our in our podcast <laughs> very, this very, week. Very this isn't so. sponsored by the county <laughs> but guys, if you want to give us some dosh, please do. Yeah, she, on Twitter and in the New Statesman about how she approached and seems proud that she used very, very strong insulting language to his face in public in a cafe in Kensington. Now, it's this sort of, I'm going to call it loutish behaviour that then... Yeah, I don't disagree. It enables... Piers Morgan to be the, to appear to be the good guy, and this is also happens with people like Johnson, Boris Johnson, and, and, and others. Um, and by the way, it, it, I do really want to say this: it's increasingly tiresome that people from the extreme left mm. feel it's normal behaviour to be rude and insulting to people with whom they disagree. Now, if say. Uh, um, some conservative male councillor from Weybridge had confronted Polly Toynbee in a similar fashion yes. in a cafe. The world would have gone mad. There would be mm. calls for the, the, his, this councillor's resignation. He would be pressed to appear you know, on TV, cheerfully offering apologies to all around. I mean, but, I mean, the only distinction in that circumstance, and I am going to make this distinction. Mm. Now, you might have to answer the question for me. So the, the, so the lady that, that confronted Piers Morgan at breakfast in a cafe, mm. is she an elected public official? Not as far as I know, no. Well, just a, I mean, just so, a, a so, Twitter uh, witch. Yeah, a Twitter witch. A, a Feminist witch. witch. Feminist a, a witch. A Twitch, if you will. A Twitter mm. witch, yes. Yeah. So, um, so, so in that circumstance, 
I would say that perhaps a, 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 an element of outrage might be justifiable then, working on the basis that if you are a councillor or an MP, if you are elected to a position in public life, mm. I think a slightly higher standard of conduct is required of you. I don't agree with that, you see. I think we we shouldn't excuse uh, behaviour by saying, oh, it's just a member of the public. I think we no, should... No, no, all... I'm no, not, I'm not excusing it, but mm. I'm just... I'm just I'm, I'm thinking that the outrage would have a slightly different mm. dimension to it. Perhaps so, but, I, you know, I, I just think this behaviour, it's deemed acceptable for, when it's people from the far left do it and that's just that's just wrong yeah no i don't i completely i completely agree also to to mop up points mm. which we which we should sort of travel <laughs> back because this podcast seems to be all very interconnected this week mm. when you talked about candidates for worst people in the world we mm. can now add piers morgan to that list well, i think absolutely. i was going to but I especially if he was busking uh, yeah well gosh can you imagine yes i would i would be with you with a you know with a large pair of second tours cutting the strings <laughs> if that was if that was that was that and also the the thing about kensington and chelsea um mm. I meant to mention this earlier, so I'll probably just go mm. back to it, but about the banning of the bus, mm. and we mentioned Kensington there. Mm. Um, I love the fact that Piers Morgan was found in a cafe in Kensington. That's the most <laughs> Piers Morgan place to be, isn't it, really? But Kensington and Chelsea, of course, are very rich council mm. because they, you know, that won't charge people more for their council tax, which means that it's got areas like Chelsea, which are extremely well-to-do, and also areas of Kensington, which are basically count- really low-quality council, was where Grenfell's mm place let's not forget and now has a Labour MP there because of the kind of disparity Labour took it by 20 votes in the also in the last election when they talk about oh we're going to take action and it's too expensive to work out licenses for, for buskers and things and it's like I think of all councils, you've got the money. And, mm. and, and perhaps to have a slight go at you about Kensington and Chelsea's <laughs> attitude to its buskers, um, I don't want to fall into the trap of thinking that councils can only do one thing at once or mm. spend money on one thing at once. But I would quite like them to do something about their housing that catches on fire. I'm mm. happy for them to spend money on that rather than licensing buskers. I couldn't disagree with that. Mm. Working in an office, the the joys of sharing a space with your fellow workers. Yes, what could possibly go wrong? That's next after Sean Lee's Ping Pong Orchestra.
multi-talented Sean Lee with one of his projects. He's released 13 albums as Sean Lee's ping pong. I, I had no idea about that. I've only just recently come across them by you. It's worth it just for the name, isn't it? Really? <laughs> it really is, yes. Um, here with Nino Moschella on vocals, that was uh, Sean Lee's ping pong orchestra and Kiss the Sky. Now, many of us will have worked in an office or desk-based environment, I suppose, at some point in our lives. I'm rather tempted to say if you haven't, then you're rather lucky as office life is filled with potential horrors. And one of my friends was telling me uh, this week about life in her office. Uh, She works in an office where most people don't have their own desk as they're in and out Mm. as part of their job role. So they do that hot desking thing, which is you don't have your own desk, you sit wherever a desk is free. Except some admin staff do have their own desk and my friend often has to sit next to one of them who despite despite apparently being a grown-up mature person guards her desk like it has borders with north korea Um, (laughs) out of the corner of her, her, her eye my friend saw her colleague using a ruler to slowly carefully nudge my friend's coffee mug back over the line between their adjoining (laughs) desks because it encroached about an inch onto the admin lady's desk. And if ever there's a sliver of paper edging onto a desk, it gets nudged back. And to give you another idea, she has her name written in Tipex on the back of her chair so no one can borrow it. She comes and says, who's got my chair? But... um, for God's sake, she clearly has nothing else going on in her life. You see, I could put up with that as it's irritating, but it doesn't attack your senses. I once sat opposite a bloke in an office who brought in the most repugnant, smelly lunches you could ever imagine. Oh, the, the same thing every day. It was something like god-awful tuna concoction. Oh, that, uh, tuna is the, is the really devil's is the worst. work, as far as I'm concerned. And he'd had it fermenting in his backpack all oh, morning. Oh, it, it, it was like napalm. You, you, you see, we, we've joked in the past on the on podcast Passim about um, your squeamishness about 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 um, pork pies wrapped in cling film oh, and stuff. God. And I'm always mock you for that, yes. but I am with you, brother, on the whole tuna thing. I just can't deal with it. Absolutely, it was honestly. I can still I can still smell it in my imagination now. Some like ten years later, it's just just terrible. And speaking of food, though, shared refrigerators are like oh, a battleground in office. Always aren't a they? recipe for for international level disputes. Absolutely, people who mark their milk bottles with marker pen with their name and a little line to show them how much milk should be <sighs> left. You see, occasionally I write my name on my apple juice in the fridge, but mm. I don't put a line. <laughs> and the and the person who leaves like a a, a, a mango and quinoa yoghurt in oh, the in the fridge God. and it goes six months past its sell-by date until it kind of explodes with bacteria mm, absolutely and the person who leaves passive aggressive notes on the table in the kitchen saying will the person who took my last tea bag <laughs> last friday please replace it or i shall have to report it to hr you know life in an office jules mm. it's like a war zone but with photocopiers instead of tanks Oh, do, do you know, you're, you're on very eloquent form this week. I'm very much enjoying that, yeah. We've got a, a passive-aggressive war going on in our toilets at the moment oh. at work um, where someone put, keeps put, someone originally put up jaunty little poems to remind us all to go downstairs and get some toilet paper when it's run out. Oh, no. Which people have wrote um, um, increasingly... Um, 
increasingly sarcastic comments <laughs> underneath. And there's one that had this kind of jaunty poem, and and people have then stuck their own pictures next to it. So sort of stuff from lolcats of cats covered in toilet paper, which is kind of undermine the original point. My favourite being a poem that says underneath, and then someone has written "I was here," and someone else has written "As am I." Someone else has recently, I suspect, added hashtag Me Too underneath. <laughs> so we're all gradually chiming in on this thing. Yes, I agree with you. Offices are just mm. are just crazy. I think so. So I I think the craziest office story I can give you, and mm. this is you know it, bizarre even by the standards that we've just discussed. Um, yes, this takes kind of stinky food to a whole new level. <laughs> I I trained at a firm in Tunbridge Wells. It was mm. very as firm as solicitors. It was very much by their own admission a hunting, shooting, fishing firm. They used to act regularly mm. for the Countryside Alliance back in the day, um, and it was very much that kind of atmosphere. And the people there. The admin staff, some of the admin staff were okay. Most of the solicitors were, by and large, dreadful people in different ways. I'm, ha- I'm happy to say this. I'm, I mean, I'm happy to say this. I'm happy I'm not there anymore. I left years ago. If anyone wants to come and have a beef, then do. But so one of them particularly was a man who I don't think was a bad person, but he was youngish and he was desperate to get on. He was desperate mm. to impress and, you know, be part of that world and, and, and change. It would feel a lot of things about his personality and, and, and the way that he lived his life to try and fit in. So I felt a bit sorry for him, really because he was an extremely capable lawyer and one day I was sat at my desk and our trainee solicitor knocked on my door and said and it was something like Monday and she went hi Julia do you think you'll need any stationery before Thursday and I said <laughs> well it, it's plausible yes if I've got some bundling to do I need to get some stuff out of the, the station got some folders and things why and she said this partner is going shooting with a client into <laughs> uh, Wednesday and so so if anyone i'm not sure if many of our listenership have guns over here in the uk but there are very strict rules for storing shotguns over here (laughs) all types of guns in the uk you have to have them in a lockable cabinet that is i think mounted and suspended from about three different directions there are very there's very firm i can't believe i I mean i had a shotgun license briefly and everyone always finds this very old i had a shotgun license including me yeah because because of our clients were all hunting, shooting, fishing, and some are quite elderly, we had a couple of incidents whereby people died, and we were either the executors or they died in tester, and we had to, uh, you know, arrange house clearances. And you have to have a shotgun license in order to move guns. Oh, God, that's a relief. I, I couldn't picture you yeah, out no, I'm, on I'm the not, field. Not, mm. not, I've never done. No, never mm. done that. But that's the only. Mm. We were all told to get one for mm. purposes of utility. So, so I don't think I ever actually moved any guns in the end. But I have one in case we would have to do that. And so. So, so, so basically, this this chap who was not very well organised didn't had got a gun to go shooting with or hired one or something, but didn't have a means of storing it at his home in London. So we had a lockable stationary cabinet at work that had a key on it. I say cabinet; it was a cupboard. Literally, you could walk into it. So the gun had to be locked in the stationary cupboard with a with a, a note on the door saying please can no one come in there's a gun locked in here until he went shooting on the wednesday and that was crazy enough and then on the on the thursday when he returned to the office we had three levels of it was an old-fashioned office it was a bubble rug shop so we had two floors above the rug shop and you go up and down and there were three toilets hmm. um and they were all unisex which in some cases was just you know uh, asking for trouble hmm. and and there was one on the top floor one on the middle floor and one on the base in, on the ground floor because you walk in and then you have to immediately go upstairs and 
they they deteriorated in quality from the top to the bottom of the, of the building. So the um, the top one was known as the farmyard, I think. The middle one was known as the zoo, and the ground floor one was known simply as the dungeon. And I remember needing the loo ones, and upstairs was full, and the middle floor was full. And I thought, oh no, I've got to go to the dungeon. So I tramped downstairs, and it was rather it was also nicknamed the dungeon because it was rather a dingy room. Mm. So so I shut the door, and it was dark. I didn't bother to put the light on for whatever reason and we had these rather sort of grubby hand towels that didn't get washed enough you know tea towels that we used to use in there and i remember thinking when i was on the loo i remember wiping my hands on the tea towel afterwards and thinking why is there another tea towel hanging off that pipe there we've already got one here so i turned the light on and it wasn't a tea towel. Mm. It was four dead partridges <laughs> that had been strung up and were hanging off the pipe. And I went upstairs into the accounts room. You know, quite, quite. I mean, because I come, I come from a family. It comes from a village which has a big house in it, and they used. I know it's, it's just normal people. When you tell normal, I mean, I had to live through this. And when you tell normal, so, so I was outraged. As you are, I'm kind of really disconcerted. I, I grew up in a family that came from a village that had a big house in it, and there's still a shoot there. So they used to be regular shoots. So actually, I grew up eating a lot of game that mm. came from the house. So I'm, I'm, you know, pretty game about game, as one might say. So mm. I was not, you know, as appalled as. I mean, some of my vegetarian friends would have literally have died on the spot, whereas I was, you know, just a bit disconcerted. So I walked into the account room, and it was quite a dysfunctional firm at this point, it has to be said. And I walked into this account room, and I went, there's four dead partridges downstairs in the toilets. Does anyone know about this? And we had a, a, an Eastern European office manager who was extremely no-nonsense, lovely, but extremely no-nonsense at the time. And... Um, we had a, a one of the accountant's son, who was about 18 or 19, was called Al, nice lad, was doing some work for us at the time. And she went, oh, for God's sake, Al's just told me that they're pheasants. These youngsters know nothing. And then just carried on <laughs> typing. <laughs> So, oh so, so, you know, as, as all the offices that I've worked in, there have been lots of kind of irritating behaviour, turf wars, like you say, but mm. I don't think anything will ever top the time that someone decided to go shooting, had to keep a gun at work because they didn't have a cabinet, and then ha- hung up dead partridges in their down in our downstairs toilet, which people use, and then other members of the office just went, oh, well, someone said they were pheasants. <laughs> Amazing. I mean, there is, there's, a, there's a strong argument, um, I think, that technology has made office life... Uh, office life worse rather oh, than absolutely. In, in, improving. People communicate with me by four or five different methods at any given time, and will cross refer their communications. Mm. So I'll get a I'll get a, an email saying, "Hi, Julia, I've sent you something on WhatsApp. Can you have a look, please?" Oh, no. I mean, you know, there are, sometimes I get people tweeting me, Facebooking me. Um, the Slack, the, the devil's work. That we have to have a conversation about Slack one week and how how multi-platform working in Slack is is reducing my lifespan at the moment as well. Yeah, technology means that people can email you their disgust instantly rather than having to take time to call you. And it, exactly, and and it, the thing is, the person who sits next to you emails you a question rather than turn to you and, and ask it. And on emails, uh, people copy you into them now because they can mm. not because you need to see them so Absolutely. before before technology someone would think twice before sending you a, a note you know you might get two or three letters a day or something now because emails can be copied to people where 
20 years ago, one would have got three notes or three letters in a day. Now we get 300 because people oh, it's, it's, copy it's you crazy. in. It's absolutely crazy. And then when you reply to people, they reply straight back. And oh, you just, yeah. I said the other day, playing whack-a-mole, you know, I get rid of one mm. it's, it, one email, another five pop up in its place. It's it's crazy. And that that's, you know, that's hard enough, never mind having to work with other people. Well, that's the thing. I, that, that, I think, is the key. It's other people because very possibly the worst thing about office life is uh, getting into a lift with a colleague or even worse the tube and you having to make small talk and you suddenly feel like you're in the cast of abigail's party particularly to someone you don't know oh and, absolutely yeah and, and uh, another thing about sort of people <laughs> asking you... people on the tube if they like demi's resource <laughs> exactly yes yes um and also, you know, um, Office Life, those leaving cards and brown envelopes. Oh, well, you God, barely know yes. the person, but you feel obliged to put a fiver in and you have to write, you know, all the best, Catherine, you'll be missed. Yeah, e- even though you've spoken to twice. Yeah, spoken to them twice, you know, when the, when the printer broke down. Uh, you know, it's Office Life. It's just a little short. It's just a little uh, short of hell on earth. Absolutely. Well, the best leaving card I ever got, it still makes me laugh. Well, I had two that were excellent. I had one from my first job that I left at my first office job. The, 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 the top said, everybody is very sad you are leaving. And then underneath was a picture of people throwing paper planes at each other around an office and standing on desks and celebrating. I always made me laugh. And also, I had a, I had a leaving card. I left a, a, a volume conveyancing firm I used to work for that was a very unhappy ship. Mm. Um, it was very much a siege mentality there. And and um, I, this card said it was a huge place, you know, comparatively where I've worked previously. And I was delighted that about 70 people signed my leaving card. Mm-hmm. But whoever it was that, served, that, that got the leaving card got it just right because it had a thing on the front saying, we're all very sad that you're leaving. And then inside it said, but we're all also very sad that we have to stay. And literally every single person that signed the card was saying along the lines of, I very much agree with the sentiments of these cards. And various people wrote, take me with you in block capitals. And apparently they all made it very clear. They were, they were sure, they, got, they made sure to get everyone else to sign in the building before it then went to the management. So the managers had to sit there and read all these people saying, I want to leave. I hate it here. Good luck, by the way. In my, in my leaving card so there are, there are times where working with people works if you've got a common enemy I think and in that place we had a con- common enemy in the form of management that everyone despised so who are no longer there can I just point out as, mo- as are most of the people that signed that card and me so it's kind of a historical sort of document really but no it's still I love the fact that they used my leaving card as a, as, as a, as a, as a way of sending a pass ag or in some cases just ag message to, uh, to our management <laughs> In between monitoring the apple juice in your fridge in yes, your office... Yes, absolutely. In between writing my initials on my Dairy Lee Dunkers packets... Where might we find you this coming week? Well, today is Sunday, the 22nd mm. of July. It took me a while to establish that, but it now mm. very much is. Mm. Um, so today's the last day of the Beatwave Festival here in Hastings, so I will be DJing. It's unlikely that you'll be listening to this instantly and can get in the car, but um, I'll be DJing at Wow and Flutter Records in Hastings from 12 until 1 um, on Trinity Street, excellent record shop. And then at the Palace in Hastings um, at quarter past five after the bands have finished at Beatwave until literally whenever they turn the sound system off and we have to go home. Um, next week I am doing... Um, I am doing a, a Indie Wonderland hopefully mm. back. Um, the studio will hopefully not be not be Satan's armpit next week, and I can actually make back and make it back and do a show. Um, so Wednesday, twenty fifth of July, eight until ten pm, barricaderadio.com. and then that's pretty much it. Um, indie old rock miscellaneous. 
Excellent. Thanks to you for listening. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know how you make it week after week. That's how you do. Thanks to executive producers Rona and Hilly. And to play Very us- much so, yeah. Mm. To play us out, a woman you found quite compelling on the proms a week or so ago. Yes, and I've picked records by Anna Meredith before here. She's she's sort of a, an everyday polymath, really, in that I've picked, and I, this record that I've picked as well, she has a sort of a, I thought it was her main thing doing electro music, but no, it's just a sideline, really, because she's a very successful and popular in the classical scene, modern composer, and she gets commissioned, she's been commissioned for, you know, years. I mean, she was commissioned to do a short piece at the last night at the proms in 2008 when she was just 30 years old, mm. and it involved five orchestras in different different parts of the country playing together on satellite so she always does things that are quite ambitious i think mm. and um she once commissioned a piece to be played to be played by mri scanners oh. so she always does some quite sort of and, and she, mm. she did something that involved the orchestra clapping at the end she works a lot with with youth orchestras and youth choirs um, which is admirable she did this piece at the first night of the proms a week or two ago called five telegrams um and they did a, a version on the thursday night before the prom started and it involved projections of, of sort of illuminations and graphics outside the Royal Albert Hall which and it's on iPlayer and I recommend watching it because it's spectacular and then they did the same things on the inside of the Albert Hall on the Friday evening it's a great piece and it reminded me that I needed to buy this album, which is called Varmints, which was her first full-length album. I think oh, we, we might have played Taken, I think, mm. or, or we, we've played something from mm. that on, on the podcast before, which I've picked. And, um, and it reminded me that I needed to get one. So I thought, oh, well, I'd like to get one from her, because I get the impression from interviews that the composing, ironically, pays the way for mm. her to, to have. She's got a small band, and, you know, she loves doing this music. But it is she's on Moshy Moshy, which is a small record label, and it is very much a shoestring operation. And... I went through her website to buy it and you could buy a record off the website and I got a, an auto email from the shop saying that seemed to be from her mm. saying it should be five working days but if we're away or something we'll let you know and we'll send you a grovelling email and I thought well I suspect that it won't come for a while because you know she's, she's just done the first night of the Broms. she's doing Edinburgh International Festival in August you know she's very busy not only did my record arrive on the Friday of last week mm. um, it arrived with a handwritten note from oh, Anna Merity saying, you know, hello, Julia, thanks very much for buying this record. I really appreciate it and really hope you enjoy it. Uh, lots of love from Anna. And it genuinely like it was written by her. So I love the fact that she's extremely successful, yet she still does her own distro. I think that's, uh, that, that is super. And it's a super album. And I'm playing this. It's track three from it. But I would really recommend that everyone kind of has a look at this album and listens to it. If you, if you, if you must listen to it on a streaming service, then do. Um, I think this is great. Uh, this is Anna Meredith and this is Scrimshaw.
You have been listening to a DACA Media Production.